I wanted to show this video because my wife and I, um, actually tomorrow, if I'm correct, we will celebrate seven years of marriage. And, um, yeah, you got that. Awesome. Let me just give you a little tip. If, like, one of you guys claps and nobody else claps, like, don't do that, okay? Like, just, like, if one clap, you hear one clap and you just all go for it, right? It's just really awkward. And when you're like, and nobody claps. Anyway, it help you out a little bit. Um, so we've been married seven years, and one of the things that I thought was so hilarious in that video is you see the progression of marriage. You see the progression of, I remember my wife and I's first date, no joke, this is not a lie, I begged my dad forever to go out with this girl, and he just wouldn't let me. He was a very like protective parent, and she had some studying to do, and she went to the library, and I was like, Dad, look, she's going to the library. <laughs> Can I please go just to the library and sit with her? He's like, all right, fine. So I drive her to the library in Lafayette, and our first date is at the public library. We go to Burger King afterwards. How romantic is that? Um, but what's so funny about all that, that progression of that video, is you see this, you sit down, you have this time together, and you're really enjoying each other, and then all of a sudden, kids in the mix, and you buy your first home, and then I would have thought it was hilarious is when they step on the Lego, because I can't tell you how many times I've done that. Anybody like walking through your house and you just step through a Lego, um, that is like the worst thing in the world, especially when you wake up in the morning, just getting your coffee, you're like, I swear to God, if somebody puts a Lego here one more time, I'm throwing them all away. Um, but the hilarious thing about that video is this, you see the progression, and the one thing that I want you to notice is that as you get older, there's more responsibility that comes your way, and if we're not careful, there's more distraction that can get involved in your relationship. So that fire that you once had, that passion that you once had for each other, it slowly begins to dissipate, it slowly begins to fade, and if we're not careful, can burn out all together. So I know that some of you guys were, uh, last week I had said that we were going to be talking about sex. I just want to go ahead and apologize. I was wrong. I got it mixed up. Um, this week we're actually going to be talking about romance. So I know some of you were like, you're waiting for it. Sorry. Um, so it'll be next week. Next week. You can't talk about sex before you talk about romance. It's just out of order. So uh, anyway, so we're going to talk about what it looks like to have a relationship that really can last. Any of you guys in here ever made a fire before? Fire? If you haven't, um, I don't know what's wrong with you. If you live in South Louisiana, you have made a fire at least one point in your lifetime. Um, my wife and I and the kids are going on vacation. Um, actually, after church, we're leaving and, and going to, uh, to Tennessee. And I'm a fire fanatic. So I was in Walmart the other day. And, you know, you can start a fire with a match. You can start it with a lighter, but that's too boring. So I got one of those flint strikers. You know, I'm like, I'm going to be a man. I'm going to start with one of those flint strikers, you know. And uh, so I got one of those. But one of the things that I've noticed about fire is there's many different ways to make it. And uh, a fire, if you want to make it right, actually takes a lot of work to make. Now, I've made many fires where um, I put the sticks together and maybe you take some paper and you light the paper and you try to get it underneath there and light it. Or if you want to just go the quick and easy route, you dump gasoline on it and you just throw a match on it, right? So let me tell you uh, a quick little history about, this was probably about five years ago, no, maybe four or five years ago, my wife was with some of her girlfriends, they were out, and uh, this is when we only had two kids, and Isaac was actually with her, so it was just me and Eli, and I'm like, son, today I'm going to teach you how to build a fire, he's like three years old, he's like, what? 
And uh, so I'm building this big, it's winter, I'm building this big old fire in my backyard. I live in a neighborhood, okay? I don't live in the country. So I'm, I'm building this big old fire, and it's really windy out, and I just can't get it lit. And so I'm striking this match, and it would catch, and then I put it on, and it would just blow out. And I was like, son, I'll show you how a man gets some fire, all right? I got some gasoline. And I dumped it all over this, this uh, pile of wood. And keep in mind, I just lived in my house for about two months. I just bought it. So I'm dumping all this gasoline on, and like an idiot, I have the, the, the pile right here and then the gas can like right here. So I take a match, and I'm like, woof. And Eli's like, oh, man, this is awesome. And about two minutes later, you know how it starts popping? And you get all these embers flying out everywhere? Well, it pops, and I see it like it's in slow motion. They're like, no. <laughs> this ember pops and lands straight in the gas can. Oh, my God. And I am like, oh, my gosh. Out of panic, I'm like, ah, boom. I kick this thing, spread gas all over my yard, and my three-year-old is standing in the middle of the yard with, like, fire all around. And I'm like, I'm going to burn my house down, and my wife is going to kill me. And so I remember, I don't know how it went out. I got the, uh, the fire out and the gas can, and I, I run inside. I put Eli inside. I run inside. I get a broom, and I'm, like, smacking out fire everywhere. <laughs> And my wife comes home, she's like, how's the day? I'm like, great, just don't go in the backyard. <laughs> and she comes back out, and there's like fire trails everywhere. And uh, so lo and behold, like every time, I'm like, hey, I'm going to light a fire. She's like, if you dare touch the gas, then I'll kill you. So even to this day, I'm kind of like, I have to sneak it if I want to light it with uh, gas. Moral of that story is this. There's two ways to build a fire. You can put in a lot of hard work. And the fire is actually probably going to last a lot longer. Or you can use chemicals. It'll start real quick. But if you know something about gasoline, if the wood is not put well, it's going to burn really fast, but it's not going to last. Um, now, if you take time and you know how to get a good bundle of kindling and you put your logs right and you start out small with the sticks, you're going to get a really good hot fire. But the problem with that is what most of us don't like, including myself, is it takes a long time. And if you want to keep a fire going, if you're the dad in the family, usually it's your wife and the kids enjoying the fire and you're breaking sticks, still feeding the fire, right? Because as soon as you don't keep adding fuel to it, what happens? It goes out, it dies, there's no more fire. And so what I want to talk about this morning is this. In marriage, a lot of times, there can be quick things that burn really fast, and you can be in love, and it's all great, and it's all dandy, but it can go out. Or there can be things where you put a lot of work in, you put a lot of effort in, and maybe it takes a little bit longer to start the fire, but the flames last a whole lot longer. Now, let's be honest. Um, the fire and the passion and the romance in marriage, when you first get married, it starts off really good, right? Like when you're on your honeymoon, it's, it's, it's like at a 10. And you get home and it's still burning a little bit. And then what happens? You buy a house. You have a kid. You get bills that start piling up. And distractions get in. And, and things start to happen. And now your time and your energy that was focused on one another begins to dissipate. And now that fire doesn't burn so brightly anymore. Maybe you're in here this morning and you're saying, hey, listen... Um, we're like barely hanging on by an ember. 
It's, 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 the fire is smoldering right now. It's not burning too hot. It's there, but it's barely there. And what I want to do is really help you through pointing you to the scriptures this morning about what it looks like to truly have a love and a romance and a passion for one another that lasts. And I have to set it up like this first. Every good relationship, every passionate relationship starts out with Jesus. It starts out with Jesus. Your foundation has to be Jesus. Because listen, that person can be great, they can say, and they can do all the right things. But if they do not have Jesus, give it a week or two, and their real side is going to come out. And you're going to be like, oh my gosh, what happened to this person? Now, one thing that I do want to remind you of is that marriage should not be based on emotions, but it should be based on the commitment that you made to one another. Tell death, do us part. Tell death, do us part. There's going to be many times, and we've talked about this all throughout the series, is there's going to be many times that you wake up in the morning and you're not going to feel like loving one another. There's going to be many times when you go to bed and you're so tempted to go to bed angry because of everything that's gone on in the relationship, or maybe past hurts, or failures, or mishaps, or mistakes, or whatever has gone on. So, let's talk about this idea as, as we get older. As we get older, anxiety sets in, fear sets in, the stress of life sets in. Some of us have demanding jobs. Uh, many of us in South Louisiana, we work two weeks on and we're two weeks off. And so there's distance and there's time away from um, the relationship. But let's also be honest. As we get older, our bodies change. Things that we once liked begin to change. Remember when I was five years old, I hated Brussels sprouts. And now I love Brussels sprouts. So it's the same thing. Within marriage. So one thing that maybe you were passionate about, you're no longer passionate about anymore. But if we're mindful, if we're paying attention, that fire does not have to go out. Now let's be honest, I don't think, and I'm not saying it's not possible, but I don't think for the uh, remainder of your marriage that it's probably always going to burn at like a honeymoon level. It, it, it's probably not going to burn that hot, but... We can keep that fire going. We can continually stoke that fire. We can have a passion for Jesus and a passion for one another. And here's the whole concept of this morning. You just have to keep putting logs on the fire. If you want to continue that passion in your relationship, you have to continue to put logs on the fire. You have to continue to work and to build that fire, just like we talked about in the beginning. As soon as you stop adding sticks, what happens? The fire goes out, it dies, and it doesn't work. So what I want to do is through Scripture, through Song of Solomon, is give you four different ways that you can continue to put logs on the fire. First one is this. Pay attention. Pay attention. And we're going to get that from Song of Solomon, uh, chapter 7, 1 through 2. And it says this. How beautiful are your feet in sandals. O noble daughter, your rounded thighs are like jewels, the work of a master's hand. Your navel is a rounded bowl that never lacks mixed wine. Your belly is a heap of wheat enriched with lilies. I, men, I suggest you use the change up the word it's just a little bit. Okay, that's from like 25,000 years ago. Uh, not that long. But here's what I want you to understand. Is every time that you read Song of Solomon, you're going to notice one thing. Every time he compliments his wife, he always starts off with her eyes. 
He always goes to one particular thing, which is her eyes. Now, at this point in um, the text, at this point in the scripture, Song of Sol Solomon and his wife are much older now. So what he's had to learn to do is pay attention to her. So he can't start off with her eyes anymore because he's told her that her eyes are beautiful like 50,000 times. And if he keeps saying that, she doesn't feel like she's, he's really paying attention to maybe what she's not confident in or what she's insecure in. So he starts with something completely different. He begins with her thighs or he begins with her stomach. He's aiming at the things, let me put it into perspective, she's insecure about these parts of her body. She looks in the mirror and she's not happy. She's like, oh, this is, every woman does it. Like, I can't believe I'm changing. I don't like this about myself. They point out all the things. And what he does is he takes note of those things that she does not like about herself. And he begins to affirm her in them. So she's not confident about her legs. Or she's not confident about her stomach. And he takes time to say, hey, listen, I love absolutely every part of you. I want to pay attention to the things that you're insecure in so that I can build you up in those things. So they're much older. And what is he doing? He's putting logs on the fire. When he sees that his wife is not confident in something, he comes. He, he's been paying attention. He's been paying attention that every time she goes into the mirror, she's not happy. She's not satisfied. So what is he doing? He's taking mental note going, okay, I need to affirm my wife in these things. Um, I am an awful whisperer. <laughs> uh, and I know this because um, I, I always thought before I got married that I could whisper like really quietly. And then I get married and my wife is like, babe, you're not whispering. You're so loud. I'd be in Walmart and I'm like, babe, you see those pants on that guy? That's so stupid. And she's like, shut up. <laughs> I'm like, what? I'm whispering. She's like, no, you're like screaming. <laughs> But he, why do I say that? I say that because there are things that only your spouse notices about you. Like before I got married, I thought that when I whispered, it was like in a subtle tone. Well, apparently it's not. My wife notices things that I don't notice. She has paid attention to me over the past seven years, and she knows more things about me than any person on this planet. So what not better person when I'm insecure in things to build me up and to affirm me and to say, hey, listen, I know you feel like a failure in this, but here's what the word of God says, and I want to encourage you in whatever you are insecure in. Marriage should be like a treasure hunt, always finding things in our spouse that no one else can. You can only discover things about your spouse by simply paying attention. Study your spouse, and then you can use the things that you've learned to demonstrate your love. So let me give you an example of this. Um, men, have you ever braved going shopping with your wife? Have you ever done it before? Every man of yours like, no, not, not a chance. Um, well, maybe, listen, maybe you go out, you go out to eat, or maybe you go shopping with her, and maybe you're the kind of guy, you're like, man, I want to pay attention, I want to take note, but I just don't know, what, I don't know what she wants. Like, I don't know what she wants from me. And this is how you pay attention. Maybe you go out to eat and you sit down at the restaurant and uh, she orders a food of uh, something and she gets it, she cuts into it and she's like, this is disgusting. And maybe you order something and she's like, man, that looks really good. And she tastes it and she loves it. 
So the next time you go back to that restaurant, you know how you know? Didn't you tell her that you're paying attention? You order for her. Or maybe you don't know what to get her. Maybe she's walking in the store and she's window gazing and she sees something and she's like, man, I would really like to have that one day. You know what that does for you? You should be taking mental note of that. You're going, okay, she just told me exactly what she wants. Like women will never say, hey, babe, this is what I want. They just kind of like, they do it subtly. Like, oh, I really like that. I hope he heard me. <laughs> hey, women, let me give you a hint. He almost never hears you. <laughs> but listen, I I'm not even kidding. Um, uh, about a year ago, I started doing different things. Like my wife, she likes... She likes me to um, make sure that I'm thinking of her. So like if, if I'm at work and she hasn't heard from me for an hour or two, and if I send her flowers or something, that lets her know that, hey, he's thinking about me and he's not just so engulfed in his work that I'm just, he'll get to me when he gets home. So it's not, I learned those things not just because I was so smart. I was actually pretty dumb. The thing was, is I learned those things because through conversation, I've got to take mental note. And for some men, here's what you can do. You have an iPhone, you have an app called Notes. Like just, when she walks by that window, she's like, oh, I really like that. You're like, wait, what was that again? Which one? <laughs> and you write it down, or you take a picture. And then guess what? On a Friday when you come home, you have a gift, and it's exactly what she wants. So she knows, hey, he took time, whatever that moment was, to think about me, to put effort into it, and now he got me exactly what I want. Sadly, most men throw all their romance into three holidays. Birthdays, anniversaries, and Valentine's Day. Right? That's why my, my wife and I, and I'm somewhat of a rebel, which is, which is not good all the time. But I'm, I'm the kind of guy, like on Valentine's Day, I'm like, this is stupid. This is dumb. Everybody's going to get the same thing. Every man's going to go to Walmart. He's going to get a card. He's going to get an oversized stuffed teddy bear that looks stupid. He's going to get some chocolates, and he's going to go to his wife. And his wife's going to be like, oh, my gosh, I never would have expected this. She knew it was coming. <laughs> so I'm the kind of one like Valentine's Day. It's just, I don't get it. I don't understand it. The goal is, I'm not saying that those things are bad, but as men, we cannot put all of our romance and all of our effort into three holidays. We have to pay attention. We have to learn. And let me tell you something. This is the hardest thing for me in marriage. The hardest thing. But when I get it and when I pay attention, it is the best thing in marriage. You know why? Because my wife feels connected. She feels close. And that is the best time when our relationship is like when it's the best. When she feels like I'm pursuing her. When she feels like I'm taking care of her. It's always the best. For us, we cannot throw all of our time and effort into three holidays. Listen, if you are not naturally romantic men, there is this great tool called Google. Like Google, type in, how should I romance my wife? I'm stupid. <laughs> like just do that. Just do that. And you might get some good ideas. I'm not going to lie. I've done it. Here's what those three, those three holidays are. Those are chemicals. They're not logs. So it, it spurs up romance real quick, but then it dies down. It doesn't last. It's like gasoline. It's like throwing it on the fire. Hey, my wife doesn't feel connected to me. Oh, my gosh, I need to wait a month till Valentine's Day. I'll sweep her off her feet. So I throw the gasoline on there. She feels love. She feels pursued. This is awesome. And that was one day, and pfft, the fire's gone. So what we need to learn to do is pay attention every day of the year, 
And will you fail in this many times? Of course you will. Of course you will. But what we want to learn to do as people that love Jesus, people that want to pursue our wives well, is to put logs in the fire and not just dump gasoline hoping that it can burn. Hoping that it can burn. Women, or women desperately want to be pursued. Women desperately want to be known. Women, men want to be desired. So two things. Two things. They want to be desired with your words. And here's something that you may not get, but they also want you to flirt with them. They like it. They like it. Ever notice that was one of the things, like when you were dating, your husband flirted with you all the time, and you're kind of like, this is awesome. And then when you get married, it just kind of like, it goes away. It goes away. Why? Because the stress, the anxiety, the fears of homes and kids and all these things and stepping on Legos, all those things begin to clutter it up and all those things begin to smother the fire. So it's why we have to learn to pay attention to one another. Learn to pay attention. Number two, make it a habit of getting away. Make it a habit of just like getting away Getting out of your schedule, getting out of your routine, and just go somewhere. Now listen, vacations are nice, and nights away are nice if you can afford it. If you can't, there are still a thousand other options. If the kids are in bed, go on a walk. Like sometimes you just need to get out of the clutter of your schedule. If you have kids, like sometimes you just need to get away from that going, okay, we can breathe. Now we can actually have a conversation. It's the funniest thing in my house. Like my wife and I will be like pouring out our out her heart to me, and we're having good conversation. In and like three minutes later, Isaac kind of like dead, 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 dead. Okay, son, this better be really important because like we're having dead, dead, dead. What, son? Um, um, dad, can I get a DS game? Oh my god! Like, are you serious? That's what. That was so important. But sometimes we just have to take a moment to get away from. All of that and begin to just focus on one another. We've got to pull ourselves out of the craziness of life and make sure when you get away, the focus is not on, oh man, my boss, he sucks. Oh man, this was, it's on each other. Your focus is on each other. And we see this in Song of Solomon, chapter 7, uh, verses 11 through 13. And this is, Song, this is Solomon's wife talking to him, and this is what she says. She said, Come, my beloved. Let us go to the fields and lodge in the villages. Let us go out early to the vineyards and see whether the vines have budded, whether the grapes' blossoms have opened and the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love. The mandrakes give forth fragrance, and beside our doors are all choice fruits, new as well as old, which I have laid up for you. Oh, my beloved. In modern-day language, this is what she's saying. Hey, listen, I have a babysitter for all the kids, and I booked a hotel for the night. Do you want to go? Uh, yes, I do. <laughs> that, that's what she's saying. She's saying, listen, I made an effort to clear the schedule. And we're going to go get away, and we're just going to focus on each other. See, getting away, and my wife and I have tried to make a habit of this, and yet again, when I say these things, it's not because we have them all in order. We still struggle in these areas. But when we get away, we try to make it a habit of spending time with one another, so we're not going out with another couple, we're spending time with one another, and then we simply just ask each other questions like this. 
Meaning that time's away. Time's away when you go on a date, when you go on a vacation, when you go on a night out. It should be for stoking the fire. It should be for putting a log on the fire. So there's three questions that you can ask each other when you're doing that. Number one, and men, you need to lead in this area. So you're the one asking these questions. Number one, what am I doing well? Hey, in this relationship, what am I doing well? What am I doing well? Number two, what do I need to get better at? What do I need to get better at? And number three, how can I help you? Now, let me be, let me be honest with you. You must ask these questions with a listening heart and a patient spirit. You cannot ask with a ready defense. Like, so if you ask, like, hey, what do I need to get better at? And she's like, well, boom. And she fires at you like, I don't need to get better than that, woman. I got that taken care of. Like, don't ask the question if you're not ready for an honest answer. And I'll be honest with you, this has taken me many years to learn, and I still fail in this many times. I'm like, hey, what do I need to get better at? And she, boom. And I'm like, boom, I fire back. Oh, yeah? That's funny? Oh, here's what, well, here's what you need to get better at. <laughs> right? That solves nothing. Sometimes, man, I'll just be honest with you, you need to, be, you need to ask your wife that question, and you just need to be a man, and you need to take the hit. Going, okay, she's speaking from her heart. I just asked her an honest question, and she responded honestly. And sometimes, listen, the answer is not always what you want it to be. Sometimes she may literally say, like, hey, things are great right now. And other times she won't say, awesome, since you asked, uh, let me let you have it. But listen... Those conversations get easier and easier and easier if you just pay attention. And you're continually soaking the fire and continually putting logs on the fire. So maybe for the first few months when you start asking those questions, you may get some really harsh answers. But as you notice, as you begin to pay attention, as you begin to put time and effort into it, the answers get a little less harsh. Now, when you ask these questions, I think that the time has got to be right. There is a timing for everything. Okay, so women, let me give you just a little hint, a little advice. Um, when your husband walks in the door, and he's just got off of work, he's tired, he should jump into dad mode right there, or husbanding mode. Okay, he's not thinking about, okay, I need to just sit in the recliner, relax, and do nothing. That's not what you should do. Husbands, when you get home, it's all about serving the family and serving your wife and serving your kids. That's what we do. We lay down our lives for our wives. So if you walk in, and women, sometimes you just need, all you need to do is just give him five, ten minutes. Let him breathe for a minute. Let him breathe. Don't, like, walk in the door, and then, boom, you're like, listen, whoa, my day. And he's like, whoa, hold on. Like, sometimes there's a time, like, the kids are in bed. They're sleeping. Make, make sure that they're sleeping. Then you sit down, and then in a loving tone, you say, hey, babe, there's been some things that have been bothering me. Is it okay if I share these with you real quick? Of course. Go for it. Like, timing is everything sometimes. Sometimes I think well-intentioned um, husbands and well-intentioned wives, they say the right things. They're, they're being honest. They're being open, but they just do it in the wrong time, and the conversation ends up blowing up because there's just the wrong time to address the issue. Number three, number three, if you want to keep the fire going, if you want to keep that romance in that relationship, you have to work hard. You have to work hard. 
the greatest enemy of keeping the fire burning in our marriage is just plain laziness. It's just plain laziness. And I'm guilty of this at times. Like, sometimes, I'll just be honest with you, we know what we should do, we just don't do it. We know what we should do, but we just don't do it. Because at the time, why? The TV's more interesting. At the time, Facebook is more interesting. At the time, whatever it is that you're doing takes priority. And let me be honest with you. In a marriage and in relationships, if you want it to work and if you want it to last and if you want it to, to, you to look at it from the outside and say, I am really happy with this relationship, then you have to work hard. Anybody in here familiar with driving a stick shift? Stick shift? I drove one for many years. And what happens when you take it from fifth gear on the highway down to first instantly? Boom! You, you are stalling out, right? And you probably just messed up your engine. In marriage, we have to resist that urge every single day. We have to resist that urge every single day. Because let's be honest, in the world that we live in now, we all have busy schedules. We all have things going on. And maybe you just got into the marriage and your marriage is kicking in fifth gear. It's going well. And then you have a bad week and you want to downshift to second or first. And go, you know what? Last week was good. I took really good care of her. So I don't need to do anything this week. I've done that. Like, man, I gave her everything she needed. I worked really hard last week, so this week I can do nothing. I was watching a guy uh, about a year ago, and he was preaching this sermon, and he said something that really stuck with me um, and was just really convicting, honestly. And this is to men. Listen, the way that God has designed men, one, he's designed them to lead. Okay? I don't know if you've looked at the physical anatomy between men and women, but men just naturally have bigger hands. They have bigger arms. They're more tough. That's why they go to work. That's why they can pick up a shovel. That's why they can get on a tractor. That's why they can do those things. Because God has naturally designed men to lead and to be physical with certain activities. Now, as that, because God has built us that way, that's one of the reasons that he calls us to lead, because physically we're stronger than our wives, but usually, most of the time, mentally, we're stronger than our wives. And I'm not saying we're smarter. Don't get that mixed up. Sometimes, but like an issue arises, and she's going, oh my God, what are we going to do? Sometimes we're just, okay, babe, just, it's going to be fine. We're going to be all right. All right? We're going to figure this out. As a man, because God has put you in that position, because he has called you to lead, you have got to be okay with the fact that for the rest of your life, you're going to live tired. You're going to live tired. Men, let me tell you something. You never get a vacation, ever. You know when you get your vacation? When you die. When you die. And I'm not saying that you pummel yourself into the ground and you work ungodly hours and that you're away from your family. I'm not saying that you do that. I am saying when you get off of work and you come home, 
Like, now that is your work. That is your responsibility. You walk in, and you're not going, oh, my God, I'm so tired. I can't do anything today. I can't. And your wife sees that, so she doesn't want to ask anything of you. So you walk in, and you've got kids, and you play with the kids, and you minister to your wife, and you talk to her, and you go full speed until your head hits the pillow. And you go to sleep. And then guess what? The alarm goes off, and you do it all over again. You do it all over again. As men, you have just got to be okay with the fact that for the rest of your life, you're going to live tired. Because here's what I have learned from personal experience. A bored man is a dangerous man. A bored man is a really dangerous man. If you've got too much time on your hands, that's scary. It's really scary. It's why God's designed you to cultivate. It's why he's designed you to build businesses and lead teams and, and be with people and work. Because he's designed you to get out in front and lead. And he's designed you physically stronger so that you can take the, the tiredness and the stress and all those things. So that you can lead your family well. Men, we have got to work hard. And the reason that I am going on with this with men is because it is our primary responsibility to lead our families. You know what? One of the number one issues related to, let's say, um, okay, let's, let's put it even personal. Here in our city, in Crowley, you know what the number one issue of why people go out and they do crime and they kill people and they steal and they do all that? You know what it is? It's not because they're bad kids. It's because they got bad dads. They just downshifted. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to go out and be who I want to be. I don't have a father. I wasn't willing to work hard and be there for his wife and be there for his family. One of the greatest things that plagues the Christian church today is just men that are not willing to lead that are not willing to take responsibility. Men, I challenge you today to work hard. And the first thing that you have to do, if you don't know Jesus already, you start there. Because if you're trying on your own effort and on your own willpower, you're going to fail over and over and over and over and over. You cannot have a better marriage. You cannot do anything that I'm talking about without Christ. It's just not possible. It's not possible. There's a quote I found, and it'll be on the screens, but favoring the deadness of a marriage over the embarrassment of, or, of, or inconvenience of, of breathing life back into it is just plain lazy. What do I mean by this? Most marriages would greatly benefit from marriage counseling, but many times we're just too prideful to go. Many marriages would benefit to marriage counseling, but a lot of times we just don't want to share our junk with somebody sitting in a chair. And we have this preconceived notion that we're going to get judged, or we're going to do all this kind of stuff. Sometimes the greatest way that you can lead is just to admit that you're weak. And just go, hey, I don't have it all figured out, and we need to figure this out. I want our relationship and I want our marriage to be better, so I'm willing to do whatever it takes to make that happen. Number four, you want to continue to put logs on the fire. You have to delight in each other. You have to delight in each other. 
It's not optional for a husband and wife to find joy in each other. The greatest joy on this earth outside of Christ should be found in your mate. Should be found in your mate. I, I can honestly say that my best friend in the entire world is my wife. Because my wife knows me better than anybody. And I have a few good friends. But she knows my weaknesses better than anybody in here. And she deals with them graciously. She's my best friend. I find joy in her. Hopefully she finds joy in me. But we find that joy in each other. And that is one of the things that keeps our marriage going. Because we might have bad days, but because we genuinely like each other, we want to fix it. And let's just be honest with, with ourselves. Some of us are living under the same roof and we hate each other. We don't like each other. There's no joy. There's no intimacy. There's nothing going on. But I want you to listen to this quote. This is by a guy named Gary Chapman. He wrote uh, a marriage book, and he says this. The times that I am happiest and most fulfilled in my marriage are the times when I am intent on drawing meaning and fulfillment from becoming a better husband rather than demanding a better wife. So here's the thing. Oftentimes in marriage, what we want to do is we want to demand a better spouse rather than allowing God to change us. Look at me. If you're in a situation right now where you're like, they just need to change, oftentimes you're the one that needs to change first. We talked about this last week. You cannot change yourself. You have to allow God to do that. we love Jesus, we understand the commitment that we have made to him when we entered into marriage. It's obvious that we cannot exchange our spouse for someone else, but you can't allow God to change you. So maybe you're in a marriage, maybe you're 10 years in, maybe you're 5 years in, maybe you're 1 year in, maybe you're 20 years in, I don't know where you're at. And maybe you feel like, man, this fire is, I feel like it's just gone. Listen, stop sitting around and waiting for the other person to change and allow God to change you first. Go, God, evaluate my heart. Do something in me. Change me. Help me to become better. Your desire to pursue your spouse must come from your desire to pursue Jesus. So listen, let's, let's tie this all together. You cannot put logs on the fire. You cannot pursue your spouse, your husband, your wife, well not pursuing Jesus. The motivation that I have to love my wife, and it's vice versa, the motivation that my wife has to love me does not come from myself, but it comes from Christ. Because I'll be honest with you, there are days that, that I am, I want to do something for her, or I want to be romantic, and I want to pursue her, but it's not coming from my own efforts. It's coming from me spending time with Jesus and Jesus pointing out things in my heart and saying, this is how you should treat your wife. And because I want to love Jesus well, I want to love my wife well. Because Jesus laid down his life for the sake of us, for the sake of the church, we lay down our lives for our wives. 
So I want to ask you this question as we close. Are you really in love with your spouse? Are you really in love with your spouse? And I would bet every single, most people in here would say yes. But let me ask you another question. Have they been around long enough where you've just gotten used to them? Have you been around them long enough where you've just gotten used to them? The things that used to once like make your heart flutter, the things that you used to take great interest in, the things that attracted you to that person, do you notice those things anymore? Do you notice those things anymore? He may be the father to your children. She may be the mother to your children. But that's not the reason that we should love them. It's a good reason, but it should not be the reason. How long has it been since when your spouse walks into the room that you genuinely look at this person and you're saying, man, I am just so glad I made the decision to spend the rest of my life with this person. And my heart just leaps with joy when this person comes into the room. How long has it been since we've had that feeling? By the grace of God, we've got to allow Jesus to change our thought pattern. Tomorrow morning, I encourage you to wake up and get your eyes off of yourself. So if you're a mom and you're dealing with children and you're trying to cook breakfast or whatever it is, or maybe you wake up and you, immediately the alarm clock goes off and you're zoned in on the phone or you're zoned in on the news or whatever it is, I encourage you to put all that aside and begin to go, okay, God, I want to be focused on this person that you've given me to spend the rest of my life with. Because at the end of the day, let's just be honest. Entertainment doesn't matter. The person sitting across from us is what matters. The person that we lay down with every single night, that's what matters. We've got to learn to look through the lenses of grace and delight in what we most love about our spouse. My wife says this all the time, and I think she does this very well. There may be days when I just frustrate her. But what she learns to do is she looks at the things that she really likes about me, and she focuses on those things, on the bad days. So maybe you're in, maybe you've had a bad year, maybe you've had a bad two, three, four, five years. Allow God to be gracious to you. And to begin to focus on, hey, what did I once fall in love with this person? And focus on that. Think about that. And allow God to begin to do something in your heart. Now, I know I'm talking about this, and maybe some of you are sitting in this room going, God, it's heavy. I feel like I've just wasted time now. Here's the greatest thing about the gospel you know what Jesus says? Just stop wasting time and start now. Just stop wasting time and begin now. Don't live in regret. Don't live in, oh, well, 20 years has been just bad. Don't live like that. Be thankful that God has graciously pointed these things out to you now and now that you can live the right way. And now that you can look and say, God, thank you. For opening my eyes in this moment and now I can live in the way that you've called me to live. Don't live in where the enemy wants to bring you. He always wants to bring us to regret, to shame, to the past, to the things that we once did, to the mistakes. And we want to live there and that's usually the reason that we can't love our spouse well because we did this to them or we said this to them. 
Don't live there. Maybe for some of you, you need to go home and you need to just repent. First to Jesus and then to face to face to each other. Like some men, some of us, some of us just need to go home and, and say, babe, forgive me for being prideful. So, wrapping all this up, here's what we learned. Pay attention, carve out time for each other, work hard, and have joy in your relationship with one another. And listen, if we can continue to do that, all it is is putting logs on the fire. And there may be highs and there may be lows, but that fire never goes out because Jesus is the center of it all. He's the center of it all. Listen, throughout your life, there's going to be valleys and there's going to be mountaintops. There's going to be mountaintops where you go and, and you look at your kids and like for us, like for, this is a highlight for us. We get to go and we get to enjoy these memories of, of going to the mountains and seeing our kids enjoy themselves. When you become a parent, isn't it funny that like the most joy that you find is seeing your kids having fun? Like you get to see those, you get to delight in those moments and then there's gonna be valleys. Maybe you lose a loved one, maybe something happens and it's just bad. But that fire can continue. It can still burn. We live in a culture where love is all about emotions. It's all about fluttery emotions. It's all about Hollywood bromance. But true love is saying, hey, listen, and we're going to talk about this in two weeks. Listen, I've seen the good. I've seen the bad. I have seen the ugly. And I'm not going anywhere. You know why we do that? Because that's what Jesus does to us. You know why we can love our spouse like that? Because that is how Jesus responds to us. Listen, he looks at us and he says, I have seen every negative, bad, ugly, wretched, filthy part of you, and I still love you. So you know why we can reciprocate that love and that forgiveness towards our spouse? Because he does the same thing for us. He's our example. He's our model. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. God, I thank you for every relationship, every marriage in this room. God, I pray that this morning that we would not walk out of here in any kind of way condemned, but that we would walk out of here. If some of us are feeling that condemnation, God, I pray that you would help us to understand that it's probably just conviction. God, that you're trying to change something in us. You're trying to make us more like your son. God, I pray that um, marriages would walk out of here stronger. And that ultimately that you would be the center of them. In Jesus' name we pray.